0: Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight.
1: And I'm Andrew Nicholl.
0: And today on the show, we're talking about the assumptions that matter. Within the ROI calculator. Now, this is a nerd alert, nerd alert. We are going to get super nerdy in today's podcast. And this is for you, like, advanced property investors, you members, you life members of the Data Nerd Association of New Zealand. This one is really for you. Because at a recent webinar, we had a question around, in your ROI spreadsheet that you guys share out with all of the podcast listeners, which assumptions really mess with the ROI calculations? Which assumptions have a material impact on the ROI? And I think this was actually, it was a really good question that made me think, you know what, we should do a bit of a stress test to see, well, which assumptions matter, which ones don't. And what we're going to talk about here today is materiality. Or what I mean by this is, you know, which stuff actually has an impact on the ROI, the return of a property compared to the ones that don't. And look, we've got to put a line in the sand to say, well, what's material and what's immaterial to the output? And so what we're going to do is we're going to draw that line of the sand at 25 percentage points of the ROI. So what I mean by that is if we change an assumption and it has more of than a 25 percentage point difference on the return on investment calculation, we're going to say that's material, that's a material impact. If it's less than that, we're going to say, hey, look, that's less material. That's not something that you really need to worry about. And the whole reason we're doing this episode is because if you're going to be like Aston in yesterday's episode and try to invest based on the numbers, you need to have an understanding of, well, which of the assumptions is actually going to have that big impact? impact so that you can also make sure that you are using the right assumptions and using assumptions that aren't fanciful. So what we've done is we've set out a baseline scenario, and then what we've done is gone through, changed a whole heap of things, and looked at how the ROI changed, the returns changed over that 15-year period. So Andrew, outline that baseline scenario for us, and then we'll go through the material impacts and the immaterial assumptions.
1: Cool. So the baseline, we're talking about a four-bedroom townhouse in Glen Eden in Auckland. The purchase price was $979,000, and it didn't include curtains, which is pretty standard that it would have curtains for us. So we've added on an extra $5,000 to allow for curtains. The rental appraisal came in at $795 to $850 a week. So we've used the midpoint of that, which is $825. The starting interest rate, we've worked on 3.25. We've used capital growth of 6% and a 12-month build project so 12 months of paying a deposit but not having a house now total returns So the returns, inflation adjusted, are about a million dollars. And the income, the years that there's a positive income, there's 21,000 of inflation adjusted positive cash flow. The total investment, this requires $204,000 worth of investment equity. So either equity against your house is what we're we're basing this on, and $14,000 of negative cash flow. So actually in that case, that's offset by your positive years. Your return on investment, which is your returns to divided by your investment, times by 100 to get you a percentage, is 474% over a 15-year period.
0: So really good, actually, really good returns in that That's case. huge. And so I suppose the question that I want to ask, Andrew or just outline for us is which factors are we not going to investigate in this episode? Not because they don't have an impact, but because the impact is so obvious already.
1: So principle and interest versus interest only, we've covered this so many times. We started the podcast purely so I didn't have to have the conversation about interest only ever again, and we've still covered another 500 times in here. But we haven't covered the difference between new versus existing, so higher deposits required for an existing property, and we haven't covered the difference in tax treatments, whether or not you rent this out. I mean, this would be a new property anyway, but if it was an existing house, then rented as a social housing or just a standard tenant, the difference in the tax treatment there. And yes, they all have major impacts, but we've talked about in the past, we just want to get into the nitty gritty of the assumptions that we use in the assumptions tab of the ROI calculator.
0: Now, if you're following this at home... God, this is nerdy, Andrew. But if you're following this at home, click over to that assumption. Get a life. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Click over to that assumption in the spreadsheet because we're going to go through here. The first thing that has a major impact is interest rates. So let's first of all change that assumption. As standard, we see these increasing over a three to eight year period, you know, stepping up from 3.5% up to 5%. But let's change those assumptions and let's say, hey, look, it's going to be a 3.25% interest rate forever. Now, this is highly, highly unlikely, obviously, but I just want to show you the impact that this would have on the modelled ROI. So, if that was the case, and we just said, hey, it's going to be the same interest rate forever as it is today, the ROI would go up from 474 up to 547. So, it would go up 73 percentage points. And the modeled cash flow that we'd expect to get from that property would be up 106K. So, it would be astronomically different in terms of the interest rate. So the first thing I want to say is, let's say you're not using our spreadsheet, because you can use any spreadsheet you want, but just make sure that if you're looking at cash flow over time, you are stepping up those interest rates up to somewhere around four and a half, five percent over time, and not just using today's interest rate, because these will change, and you want to be on the conservative side and not think that you're going to be rich when actually you're going to have very high interest costs potentially. But we also looked at this the other way, didn't we, Andrew?
1: Absolutely. We looked at it this of interest rates change. And so on that basis, if they change to 5% from year four onwards, then the return on investment goes down from 474 to 381, so 93 points. The cash flow, of course, is affected as well, it goes from negative 14 to negative 67,000. So there's more of a cash flow input. That's what's going to affect the return on investment.
0: And I suppose the key thing here for people at home is what you want to do is put in interest rates that you were comfortable with and think you know are pretty realistic so that you were able to make that same comparison across all of the different properties you're reviewing at any one time because it will majorly impact that ROI. The next one that is super, super important are rental increases, model rental increases over time. Now, the standard assumption that we use is about four point eight percent to per year over time. And the reason behind that is that's been the increase in median rents every year since when the record started back in 2002, February 2002, that we were able to get data for. But let's change that down to, say, 3%. So you're only going to increase your rent by 3% per year. Well, the ROI goes down 112 percentage points, an enormous amount. And the amount of cash flow you'd have to invest goes up by 61K on this property from that baseline scenario. Now, what's the key message there? Well, if you put in 4.9% into your cash flow forecast and say, hey, that's what my rent's going to increase per year, then you've got to make sure that you are staying on top of those rental increases and increasing it to the market rent as much as you possibly can. So you're staying on top of those rental increases, because otherwise you might as well put 3% in there if you are choosing not to stay on top of those rental increases.
1: The next is capital growth. We looked at the impact of using a 5% capital growth rate rather than the standard 6% that we'd use for a townhouse in Auckland or a house in Auckland. The return on investment again is affected massively. It goes down by 106 points. And so again, just because we've had historic growth doesn't guarantee future growth. It's a good indicator, but it doesn't guarantee it. So use a number that you're comfortable with when you're playing around with these numbers. Once I've narrowed down a property, just, just for anyone's information, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, well, this is the one I'm buying, and then I'll model out three. I'll put kind of a standard set of numbers in my middle column, and then on either side, I'll do a really conservative one, and I might use a 5% there, and I'll use a really ambitious, and I might use a 7%, especially if the areas had, say, 8% in the past. And then I'll see what the return on investment is across the board. That's quite a good way of doing it, particularly when it comes to growth.
0: But definitely those capital growth numbers just hugely impact the expected returns. But what's important as well to say is, well, don't fool yourself and just put a higher number because you think, oh, I've got to put a higher number in in order to get a higher modelled ROI. And I keep using that word modelled because, of course, it's a spreadsheet, it's a model, it's not necessarily a forecast of what it's definitely 100% going to be per year. But, you know, we just want to make sure we're, again, using realistic assumptions so we're not fooling ourselves. And the last one, which actually surprised me, Andrew, I didn't think this was going to have as much of an impact as it did, is the inflation rate that you were using over time. So standard that we would use is 2% per year. But let's say we put that down to 1.5% per year, given that previously, up until this point, we've got very high inflation. For a period of time, we had very, very low inflation. So if we decrease that inflation rate by half a percent, put it down to 1.5%, the ROI went up by 41%. Similarly, if we increase the inflation rate to 2.5% over time, the ROI will go down by 37%. Obviously, if you increase the inflation rate, then your operating at costs are expected to increase more and more over time. But similarly, if you're in a high inflation environment, and we always discount everything back into today's dollars, well then if you've got a high inflation rate, you're having more discounting back into today's dollars. If you've got a lower inflation rate, you've got less discounting back into today's dollars. And so the reason behind that is just that there's less impact of the time value of money in that specific scenario. And I suppose one question some people might have here, Andrew, is should I use ultra-conservative assumptions since they have such a big impact on the ROI?
1: Look, I, I not really. I think you need to use assumptions that are tested and based on historic movements. Again, history doesn't guarantee future returns, but they're a good indicator. And it would be fair to say that maybe I've been too conservative in some of my calculations in the past. You know, I'll look at things and I'll test much higher interest rates and stuff like that. And then I'll think, oh no, that's not a good deal and I won't do it. Don't talk yourself out of a deal. You want to get the right deal. But and also remember that you can't change one assumption without changing another. So you know if inflation's far higher than historic rates, then the assumption, the natural assumption will be that wages will increase at a higher than historic rate and therefore rents could also increase at a higher than historic rate. And so you want to be perhaps more focused on the assumptions you can control. So rental increase is a big one because you know what you need to be working towards and you might not get the 4.9% every year, but you might get 3% one year and then you might jump up 7% the next year keep on top of those rents so you can make sure your actuals are as in line with your projected as possible.
0: Now, let's come over and we'll just briefly go through these and talk about the assumptions that actually don't matter as much or don't have as big a material impact. What's number one for you, Andrew?
1: So the first one that would probably be you know, a minor change in your operating costs so for example accounting costs we use $1,150 plus GST for your first property now if it's your second property it's only $200 so you know, if this is your second property you can reduce that but it's only bringing down your OPEX by 10%-ish per year so the effect is going from 494 from four seventy four percent. so it's immaterial and so those small changes to those operating costs aren't going to make much of a difference.
0: The other one is- is channel valuations as well. So, you know, I've put in 40k worth of channels at the start and compared it to putting zero channels in. And it's going to depend on the yield of your property and the size of your mortgage. So if you've got a very high mortgage, The size of your chattels won't actually make much of a difference. And the reason is because over the 15 year period, we're not expecting you to have to pay a hell of a lot of tax. Chattel valuations are super valuable over time because they help you decrease the amount of tax you have to pay. But if you weren't expecting to pay much tax anyway over the first 15 years, then Well, those channel valuations didn't have as big of an impact. So it had less than two percentage points impact on the ROI. Now, of course, if you're holding that property for as long as possible, you know, 20, 30 years, of course, the channel valuation is still useful to have because you can carry those losses forward. But over this 15 year period, pretty immaterial.
1: Your next is your savings rate. So if you go from 3% to 1%, it has very little difference to return on investment, like less than 1% on the return on investment. Now, it will make a difference on the amount you would need to save to get the same effect of what your growth is going to be. But from your return on investment standpoint, it makes a big real difference.
0: And lastly, tax rate as well. So we've looked at a 33% marginal tax rate. We chucked it up to 39%. We put it down to 17.5%. Had no change because in this modelled scenario, in our baseline scenario, there were actually so many tax losses carried forward and interest was deductible in this scenario that there was effectively no tax liability over the 15-year period. And because of that, a change in the tax rate didn't have any difference at all. So that would be different naturally, of course, if you had a property that was making a taxable profit, because then, of course, you're going to be paying tax. So if this was an existing property where the interest was not deductible, or it was a property that had a very low mortgage, then that tax rate would have a huge difference based on how it's going to impact the ROI of that property. But in this specific instance, wasn't very material. And look, I realize this episode was so nerdy to talk about assumptions and the impact on ROI. But I do think it's important for you guys who have been listening to all, almost eight hundred episodes or so to get into this level of detail now because you're pretty clued up about property investment. And just understand the nitty-gritty of these assumptions, how they impact the return on investment. So that, you know, you're not kidding yourself with the numbers that you were looking at when you're trying to invest based on those numbers. And if you're a bit newer to this podcast, I get this one probably was a bit data heavy. You probably want to download the return on investment spreadsheet that we are talking about in the show. So if you want to do that, you can get that at opuspartners.co.nz slash ROI. And then maybe re-listen to this episode and follow along, put in a baseline scenario and then change some of the assumptions so you can see how those assumptions change over time. And just before we wrap up, Andrew, just walk us through as well, what sort of ROI figures are you aiming for? Based on Aston's question yesterday, what's a good ROI to get out of your spreadsheet?
1: So I think if you're looking outside of Auckland, probably somewhere around that 275 mark is realistic nowadays, somewhere around that. And probably in Auckland, I'd be looking for 350. Again, something like this was massive. It was you know close to 500, which was awesome. It was 450-ish. So that's outstanding by 10 of those. But realistically, you're probably looking closer to 350 or 275 outside of Auckland because of the fact that you're using a lower interest rate and higher interest rates.
0: And of course, plus or minus 25 to 50 percentage points as well, depending on some of these other manual factors. Look, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ian Knight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, and insights to help you get the most out of using the property market. Until next time.